Hey, um, before I get into the last one, um, first of all, great message last week, remember? On, on persecution. How many people feel excited about persecution now? Funny that, hey, you get a message about persecution, but it doesn't generally change how you feel about persecution. Uh, and this one's not much better. But before we get into it, I want to talk to you just really, really quickly. I want to encourage you to be in church the next three Sundays, starting next Sunday for three weeks and doing, doing a series called Community Fellowship. And it's something that God um, really placed in my heart right at the start of the year. And I believe it's, it's, it's a prophetic message for the church. And so I want to encourage you, don't, don't miss those three weeks, all right? That's all I've got to say. All right, Matthew 5, 11 to 12. Last week we heard about how persecution deepens our faith, how persecution prepares us for divine intervention, and how persecution sets us up for promotion, yes? We looked at the life of Meshach, Shabrach, and, well, not the life, but the story of Meshach, Shabrach, and Abednego, and how God does those things. And it's not something that we should fear, but it's actually something that we should embrace. That's why it says, blessed are you when you're persecuted. Yeah? Are you with me? Do you know the church grows the best around the world in the countries where it's persecuted the most? What's our persecution in New Zealand? Apathy. We just got it too good. Yes? Don't, come on, you know we've got it too good. We, we, we don't even think about praying when we're sick. We just ring the doctor. We are blessed to live in a country like this, but the reality is our persecution is that we've got it too good. All right, you're not convinced. Matthew 5, 11 to 12 says this, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I don't know about you, I struggle with this. Blessed are you when people insult you and lie about you. Rejoice and be glad. It's like, oh man, so good. People are spreading rumours about me I, I'm, and I couldn't be happier about that. I couldn't be happier with the insult that I just received. It's like, oh, praise God. Yeah, give me some more. Nobody, nobody responds that way, yes? Nobody thinks that way. And in last week's message, we, we, we learned in regards to persecution that, that sometimes persecution is about standing firm in the midst of persecution and not bowing to the culture around us, but actually standing and taking a stance for what we believe in. Now, can I just precursor that by saying in a good way, not a dumb way. Not in a standing on the street corner telling everybody they're filthy, rotten sinners and going to our way. That's a dumb way to stand your ground. Obviously, some of you think it's not. You could say amen to that and help me out. And we need to sometimes stand our ground and we need to sometimes refuse to bend like Meshach, Shabrach and Abednego. We do need to do that, but we also need to love well as well. And Jesus says, hey, there's another form of persecution for you. Some people are going to insult you. Some people are going to say all kinds of evil against you. And, and I need you to, be, to rejoice and be glad in that because I need you 
to respond a different way than everybody else does. That as followers of Christ, there's gonna be times where you're insulted, there's gonna be times where people say all sorts of evil about you, and I need you to rejoice and be glad in that because I need you to respond differently to how everybody else responds. This, this is, a, this is a, a, a beatitude that it's taking us to a deeper place in Him, a more mature place in Jesus. And, and this morning as I talk about this, you're probably going to feel some pushback on the inside of you of like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. But can I say this to you? God's actually calling us to do this. He has always called us to do this. In 2 Corinthians 12, 10, it says, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. When we go through these things, we become stronger. We become more mature. Our relationship with God goes deeper. It's the difficult times that grow us the most. It's the hardships where we grow the most. It's the hardships that should cause us to go deeper into God because we need Him. We need His love. We need His mercy. We need His healing. We need His comfort in the middle of all those things. And, and all that stuff makes us stronger, makes us Better and, and, and here's the reason why the Beatitudes are so important is because once Jesus had talked about all the Beatitudes, once he'd gone through all of it and said, hey, these are the attitudes that I need you to live by, the very next thing that he says in Matthew 5, 13 to 16, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. In other words, if you can live these attitudes, if you can live them out in your life, you become the salt and light of the world. The result of being able to live the Beatitudes out in our life is to become the salt and the light of the world. And if you get these Beatitudes in you, then you can be the salt and light of the world and you can make things taste better for the people around you. It goes on and it says this in Matthew 13, 16, last part, it says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so this is the type of persecution that becomes influential. It's not the type of persecution where you make your stand. This is the kind of persecution that makes you influential because yes, you need to stand firm and not bow, but God is calling us to a different response to hatred, to insults, to false accusation, accusations, which somehow causes others to glorify God. You're so quiet today. Listen to what Jesus said in, in, in Luke 17 verse 1. He said, then he said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offences should come. Newsflash, you cannot live your life and not be offended. It's impossible. Talk to me. It's impossible. If you've gone through life, we've never been offended. Come here, here's the microphone. You come be the pastor. 
and because um, you're basically Jesus, uh, it's impossible. It's impossible to go through life and not be offended. Personally, I'm offended when people eat steak well done. That's an offence to me. It should be medium rare. And if you eat it well done, there's something wrong with you. Personally, I'm offended that you think tea is better than coffee. Personally, I'm offended that every time we go out for lunch, Trinity wants to always go to flipping Nando's. Personally, I'm offended when there's a boy band on the TV. It's impossible. You can't go throughout life without the opportunity to be offended. And here's the problem with offense. Proverbs 18.19 says this, A brother wronged is more unyielding than a fortified city. Disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. In other words, somebody who has been offended and somebody who has been wrong automatically become unyielding to that situation. They build up walls around them. They, they, they don't let anybody in. They won't let anybody near them to touch their heart. And in the process of keeping people out from touching their heart because of the offence, you also keep God out from touching your heart also. And so let me give you four principles of Scripture that will... Be things that you don't want to do, but you need to do. And if you will do them, it will change your life. Okay? All right, first one is this. Choose to overlook the offence. Choose to overlook the offence. Now, I I need to precursor before we go any further. We're talking about offence. I'm not talking about major wrongs being done to you. Okay? We're talking about offence. We're talking about somebody saying... Rimmer, I don't like your face. Would you rather I said that to you? Uh, or I don't like your tie, or I don't like, you know, or, or you know, I'm talking about offence. I'm not talking about where you have been wronged where someone has abused you. That's completely different, all right? And we'll, we'll, we'll touch on what that looks like a little bit later. But I'm, I'm talking about here, overlook offences when it's, it's minor, Yeah? When somebody says, I don't like your wife's cooking, it's a minor offence. <laughs> All right, this is what we're talking about. Choose to overlook the offence. Proverbs ten twelve says this, love overlooks the wrongs that others do. Proverbs twelve sixteen says, when a fool is annoyed, he quickly lets it be known. Ain't that the truth? Let me tell you what they did to me. You're the tenth person I've called in the last five minutes to let them know this. Quickly lets it be known, wise people will ignore an insult. Proverbs 19.11 says, A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offence. This whole thing about patience means basically this. I'm not going to respond straight away. I've just felt that insult. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to back my truck up and I'm going to take my time 
before I respond to you. And in fact, what I'm going to do is I'm actually just going to ignore that nasty thing you just said because it's to his glory or to my credit or it's actually good for me to ignore that. Are you with me? Sometimes the only winning move is to not to play at all. Some of you, this is, could be really helpful if we took this into our marriages. Because what tends to happen in marriages is like, you know, when you do that, you tick me off. I go, yeah, well, when you do this, you tick me off. And then it, it's just an exchange of blows which leads to mutual destruction. Don't look at me like that. I've, I've been married for 28 years. I know what happens, especially in the first three years. Toilet paper doesn't go that way. It goes this way. You're hanging out the washing wrong. Like, here's my view. Can I... Just side note here, just for a sec. Who cares how the washing is hung out as long as it gets dry? Can I get an amen? Thank you. Thank you. I know there's some women out there right now that are like, Whoa! That's an offence. Just overlook it. Sometimes the only way to win is just don't play. Don't engage in it. Because if you engage in it, it's usually mutual destruction. And what God is saying here is, hey, hey, I'm calling you to live higher than that. I'm calling you to live a lot higher. Hurting people hurt people. People that are hurt hurt others. Not because they're horrible people, but because they are hurting. And the question we need to ask ourselves is not, yeah, let me tell you a few home truths about yourself. I think what we need to do is we need to go and look at that and go, hey, how, how, how are they hurting? What, what's, what's happened to them in their world that they would react like that? What, is, what has been done to them? What would cause that kind of pain in their lives? And when we, when we start thinking like that towards others, it's called, it's called empathy. It's called empathy. And now instead of being mad for them, I feel sorry for them because obviously something has happened in their world at some stage which has created a whole lot of pain. And in a world that is getting reactive and nasty, God is asking us to have a different response. Love looks past the behaviour and imagines the pain in their life. The first thing we need to do is we need to be able to overlook an offence. The second thing is we need to keep your heart free from unforgiveness. I know we've already talked on forgiveness a fair bit through this series and it's almost like God just keeps hammering it to us because nothing destroys your life and those around you like holding on to unforgiveness and bitterness. In Luke 11 verse 4 it says, And to forgive us our sins for we have forgiven those who sinned against us. And this is where the precursor comes in about people that have been hugely wronged. Because it's so easy to go, you just got to forgive them. You know, when you have been massively, massively wronged to the point of being abused, to, to say that, as Sean Detroit said uh, during conference, to say that to someone is to re-injure them. And the literal translation of this verse is this, Forgive us as I'm in the process of forgiving others. Forgive me 
as I'm in the process. Now, if you have been majorly hurt in life, it's a process. For me to get up and go, you need to forgive people, is really insulting to you. But to get up and say, hey, God will forgive you as you're in the process of forgiving people. And that process could take your whole life. Because forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a choice. And the hard thing about forgiving people that have wounded us is I don't know about you, but sometimes people that have wounded you once tend to wound you again and again and again and again and again. And just when you think it's starting to heal, they flick that scab right off and the whole pus and everything starts pouring out again because some moron just thinks that their job is to just continually wound you your whole life. And so it's a process, and that's what I love, that, that God isn't saying, hey, I'm not, I'm not going to forgive you, you don't forgive others. What, what he's saying is, I'll forgive you as you're in the process. And whatever that process may look like for you, as long as you are in the process of forgiving others, that's the important thing. Are we all right? In other words, I'm in the process of forgiving people. And so I'm not going to wait for their apology. I'm not going to wait for them to earn it. I don't care what was right or what was wrong. I'm, I'm just going to choose daily to walk in this process of forgiveness. And hopefully one day, as I continue on this journey, I'll fully be able to forgive them. But if I die and go to heaven without fully forgiving them, at least I was in the process of forgiving them. Are we okay? Decide every day that you're going to forgive people before they even hurt you. That's why when, when I get home from work and I walk into the house and I go, Hi honey, I'm sorry. Just in case there's something I've done that I didn't even know I had done. More tips on how to have a good marriage. I'm just joking. Here's the thing. The reason why I think we should be in the process of doing this even before people have done stuff to us. It's because the scripture says this, while yet I was still a sinner, Christ died or forgave me. And because he forgave me before I even thought about him, then I'm going to do the same for those around me. It's because of your grace and mercy towards me that I will show grace and mercy towards others. Colossians 3.13 says this, you must make allowance for each other's faults. Oh, it's sort of a whole lot of elbows then. Make an allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you so you must forgive others. Once again, we're talking about offence, not major, 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 major stuff. Offence. The best thing you could do for yourself is to choose to live unoffended. Is to choose to live, I'm, just, I'm not going to allow insults. I'm not going to allow that stuff to offend me. I know that's really, really easy to say. But I think we've got to have hides of a rhino and hearts of a marshmallow where we just let the insults just bounce off, but our heart stays soft. Not, not for their sake, 
but for my relationship with God. Because when my heart hardens, it's my relationship with God that suffers. And I think we've just got to choose to go, you know what, I'm going to... Tr- I'm, I'm not saying that... You- I'm not saying that I live an unoffendable life. I get offended. It's just that I try to choose to live unoffended. Are you with me? To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was actually you. I I, I learned a long time ago that, that people that have insulted me and offended me don't lie in bed at night awake all night because they're worried that they offended me. I'm the one that lies awake in bed all night with the insult running through my head. And so I need to live unoffendable for my sake, not for the sake of others. The third thing we need to do is pray, bless, and do good to them. When you hurt me, I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to do good to you. You see, I'm about to read you a scripture, but you need to understand that at the time that Jesus said this to the Christians, to the Jews, the Romans at that time had this teaching when Jesus was around, and they actually had a God that they worshipped, which was the God of revenge. And so they, they live by, the, the Romans live by, and hence the Jews started to live by the concept of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. In other words, if you do that to me, then I can do that to you. That was, they literally had a God of revenge that they worshipped. And it was like, if, if you do something to me, I get to do that to you. And Jesus says this in Matthew 5.38, he says, You heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. What's that all about? Well, the Romans used to treat the Jews like they were their slaves. And if you were walking along carrying a bag, you would just point out to a Jew and go, hey, come carry my bag. And by law, they had to carry it one mile. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 don't do one mile, do two miles. And so what the Christians or the followers of Christ started doing is they started carrying the bags for two miles. And the Romans were like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And it was an opportunity for the Jews to say, well, because we follow God, We don't just do one mile, we do two miles because you know what? We're not offended by how you're treating us. We're going to bless you by doing another mile, doing an extra mile. We're going to go the extra mile for you. And the Romans started to get their attention and they're like, this God stuff seems different. Jesus is saying it's it's important for us believers to respond in a different kind of way that attracts non-believers to the God we serve. And that's what started to happen. There started to be stuff happen amongst the Roman people because of their response. Luke 6, 27 says this, But you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless, that word bless means to speak well of, speak well of them who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, 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 we, we, we live differently. We don't curse, we bless. We don't curse, we bless. 
We bless people. Listen to this, 1 Peter 3, 9 says this, do not do wrong to repay a wrong and do not insult to repay an insult, but repay with a blessing because you yourselves were called to do this so that you might receive a blessing. Don't return an insult with an insult because you're called to live differently so that you receive a blessing. Romans 12, used to be, uh, 17 to 21 puts it this way, and this used to be my favourite scripture until I really understood what it meant about treating other people. It says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, notice says, if it is possible, some people make it impossible to live at peace with them. Some people are committed to not understanding you. As far as possible, as far as it depends on you, in other words, if other people don't want to live at peace with you, you're trying to, but they don't want to, that's not on you, that's on them. Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, in other words, the absolute opposite thing you need to do. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. I used to read that scripture and go, yeah, my enemies, no problem. I'll bless you. I'll feed you. Because in the process, I'm putting burning hot coals on your head. <laughs> How many people know, I don't think that's the intention of the scripture. And as Sean would say to me, context, context, context. We have to understand that it's not about putting burning coals on them to hurt them. The number one commodity at the time that Jesus said this was fire, coals was the number one commodity. They would do everything they could to keep the fires burning. They didn't have stoves. They didn't have water purification. So fire was everything to them. It was not only warmth at night, but it, it's how they cooked. It's how they purified water. It was everything that they needed. And they would get the hot coals and they'd kind of wrap them overnight to keep them hot. Then when they get up in the morning, they would unwrap them and boom, away the fire goes again. If the hot coals went out, they were in huge amount of trouble. If, if the hot coals disappeared or, 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 or they didn't keep them alive, they would be in a whole lot of trouble. And what would happen if your hot coals went out is that you'd let your neighbours know and the tradition would that the neighbours all bring one or two of their coals and they heap a pile of hot coals to you. This scripture here is not saying when you treat your enemies well, you put hot coals on their head to hurt them. It's saying that you meet their most crucial need. Hmm. It's a bit different, isn't it? That when you do that, you pour hot coals upon them and you meet their greatest need. See, the Beatitudes 
are asking us to mature from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity, which will change the world. And so we overlook, we forgive in advance, we pray for them, we bless them, we do good for them. And then fourth, but certainly not least, we remember the eternal reward. Let me read the Beatitude again for you. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here's the thing. Successful people, when it comes to the kingdom, don't put all their eggs into the one basket called earth. They are satisfied to have delayed gratification so that they can stand before God and hear, well done, and that is of greater value than anything they could hear here on earth. Successful people in the kingdom understand that everything here on earth, and I'm not saying you shouldn't have nice things, but the Bible says this, it's all wood, hail and stubble. In other words, it's all going to burn. None of it you can take with you. None of it of significance to your life, really. It's the precious stones that are left over. And people that successfully navigate this Christian life, the journey that we're on, are people that would rather hear a well done, good and faithful servant in heaven than hear a well done here on earth. Are you with me? You see, Paul, the Apostle Paul was whipped five times. And and I add, he's whipped five times the same way that Jesus was whipped. Shipwrecked, snake bitten, stoned, beaten with rods, imprisoned. I'm pretty sure his life was quite rough. I I think it was quite difficult compared to my difficulty of having to have cold showers in Fiji. Oh, the internet's slow today. Oh, mate, that's disastrous, isn't it? Lucky we're not being beaten and stoned. As in not, but as in. (laughs) And this is Paul. This is Paul talking. This is the guy that's been whipped, beaten, shipwrecked, bitten by snakes, all sorts of horrible stuff done to him, thrown in prison, all sorts of stuff done to him. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 9. He says, we were hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. How, how, how does this guy, what was Paul's secret that he could have all these bad things happen to him, all this disastrous stuff happen to him? And he's like, it's okay, we're I'm not in despair. I'm not abandoned. I'm not perplexed. I'm, I'm not destroyed. I'm all good. How, how, do, how, does, how does somebody have that mindset in the middle of all this stuff that has been done to him? Well, he shares it in verse 17 of chapter 4. He says, For our light and momentary troubles. <laughs> Oh, that's light, momentary, (laughs) are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 
Here's a question for you. Does your earth stuff outweigh your heaven stuff? Because what Paul is saying here, all the stuff that I've gone through on earth does not outweigh the eternal reward that's before me. I wonder how often we live for earthly rewards that outweigh what we believe is our eternal reward. That we make decisions in life for earthly rewards at the expense of our heavenly reward. That our earthly reward carries more weight than our eternity reward. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is all temporary, he's saying, and I'm waiting and living for my well done, good and faithful servant. That carries more weight in my life than anything that happens to me. So how do I end a message on persecution? How do I make it relevant to us when we're sitting here in an air-conditioned room, our nice, comfortable seats, where we got up this morning and we opened our wardrobe and we had options of what we were going to wear? I changed my jacket three times this morning. Tried one. No, that's not going to work. Tried the other one. No. Settled for the last one along with options for breakfast. Is it cereal today? Scrambled eggs? Bacon? While I was away in Gisborne last week, every morning I got scrambled eggs, mushrooms, tomatoes and bacon for breakfast. I come home, I don't get that at home. (laughs) We have marvellous coffee. Then there's tea. How do, how do I end a message around persecution when we've got it so comfortable, we've got life so good, but there are literally people all over the world losing their lives today, possibly right now, because of the persecution of their faith? How, how do I bring this to get it to sink into us? I read a story about a guy called Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a missionary to a tribe in Ecuador, and in trying to reach this tribe in Ecuador, they killed him. He lost his life trying by the hands of the people that he was trying to reach. In fact, there's a movie that was made about him. It's called The End of the Spear. I encourage you, if you've never seen that movie, you should watch that movie. It's an incredible movie. But he lost his life at the hands of the people that he was trying to reach. And Jim Elliott said this, and I finished with this this morning for you as Maddie comes. This is what he said. Before he lost his life, he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott gave his earthly life to obtain his heavenly reward. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil about you. Rejoice and be glad. 
Because great is your eternal reward. Oh, may we be people that the weight of heaven's reward way outweighs anything that we could get in earth. If we live that way, the world would be revolutionised because we would understand that our life here is very, very short and our eternity is very, very, very long. But what we do in the shortness sets us up for our eternity. And when we understand that our eternal reward is more important than anything we could get here on earth, then we can overlook offence. Then we can forgive offences. I'm not talking about major traumas, I'm talking about offences. We can pray for those people. We can bless them and do good to them. Because we understand the eternal reward that's before us. He's saying, rejoice and be glad because of your eternal reward. Not the reward right now, but the reward you'll get because of your right now. And so I wonder in this room, how many of us, and once again, I'm not talking about major trauma, I'm talking about minor offences. How many of us are walking around holding on to offences that we should never have held on to in the first place? And how much is that robbing us, not only of the eternal reward, but also robbing the opportunity of people seeing that we react differently and going, whoa, there's something about Jesus. How come you can do this? How come, how come you don't get angry? How come you can be nice to me when I've been so horrible to you? And then you can turn around and you can say to them, hey, I, I just wish you had the same joy that I have. Because the word blessed and all of the Beatitudes means a joy on the inside of us that is unshakable no matter the circumstances. And when they go, what's that joy that you have? You'll be able to say, it's Jesus. And then you become salt and you become light that everybody then gives glory to God because you're blessed. You're blessed. Why don't we all close our eyes just for a moment? I think personally, you, you can disagree with me afterwards if you like. I think personally we're living in a time right now where people are so easily offended, it's out of control. Everything is offensive these days. If I don't like what you're saying, it's offensive. What if it's truth? What if it's actual facts? Oh, I'm offended by that. Well, I'm sorry, but that's, that's, that's the reality. Offense 
has a way of causing division in families, in friendships, in workplaces, in churches. It just has a way of getting in there like a wedge and causing all sorts of havoc. And Jesus says, hey, 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 I've called you guys to live differently to that. I've, ca- I've called you guys to not live that way. I've called you to go, you know what? I could be offended, but I choose not to. And the reason why I choose not to is because I'm gonna re- rejoice and be glad about my heavenly reward that's before me by not taking on that offence. And you might be here today and you're like, man, I, there's, there's certainly some offences in my life that I'm carrying. And you know what? Don't feel bad about it. We all have offences that we carry. We all do. I've got offences that I'm trying to process at the moment. None of us are perfect. But it's just an opportunity in this moment of saying, you know what, I I wanna start a process today. I'm I'm not saying that I may not ever get there in forgiving the person, but I'm gonna start a process of forgiveness and I'm gonna work on it. And I'm gonna choose to each day. And it, it, it may take a long, long time. It may take forever. It might only take a few, it might be a small offence. That only takes you a couple of weeks to move through. But, but I, I'm gonna to acknowledge today that I have offence. And in the process of acknowledge that I have offence, I'm gonna to choose to start walking the process, start walking the journey of forgiveness. Or maybe it's just really, really minor stuff and you go, you know what? I'm just not even gonna respond to that anymore. I'm just gonna not react to it. I'm gonna be bigger than that. I'd love to pray for you this morning that God would help you. Because I don't know about you, but I've been praying all week that God would help me process my offence. I'm not perfect in any way, shape or form. I'm just like you. I'm just here to say to you this morning that God's saying, hey, it's time for us to be people that are bigger than that. We respond differently. We don't get offended. We process it. We, we move, we either let it go, ignore it, start the process of forgiveness. We pray for that person. We do good by them. And we focus on our heavenly reward. If you're here this morning and you're like, hey, Craig, I, I really love it if you could pray for me that God would help me move from offence to forgiveness, that God would help me start the journey. Start the journey to become somebody who's unoffendable in life because I, I want to be somebody that people look to and go, hey man, what's going on in your world that you can respond that way? Because I want to point them to Jesus. I want to see my family saved. I want to see my workplace come to Christ. I, want, I, want, I don't want to live with this any longer. If you're here this morning and you're like, man, I've got some offences. I need to I need God to help me process those things and get them out of my world. If you're here today, well, nobody's looking around, which means that if you can see my eyes, that means your eyes aren't closed. So if you could just close them, that would be really, really helpful because I don't want to embarrass anybody in this place. And if you put your hand up when I ask you in a minute, I'm not going to go around and make note of everybody that put up their hand and then send a text out to all the leadership team say, these are the offended people in the church. I'm not going to do that, okay? I'll probably be forgotten by this afternoon. This is really about you saying, you know what, God, can you help me? And me praying that God will help you. If you're here today and you're like, man, I've got some offences that I know I need to process. I need God's help to deal with this stuff. 
then why don't you lift your hand right now, if that's you, all across this place. Awesome. You can, you can put your hand down now. Why don't we stand to our feet just for a moment. And I'll get the band and the singers up. That would be cool. If that was you that lifted your hand and if you didn't lift your hand but you want prayer anyway, why don't we just close our eyes just for a moment and let's, let's lift our hands to heaven. Why do, we, why do we lift our hands to heaven? For two reasons. When our hands are lifted, it's, it's I surrender, but it's also Daddy God, pick me up. I want to surrender this offence, but I also want God to come and embrace me and bring healing to my life. And so, Father, we pray right now for every single person that lifted their hand in this place. Father, that You would come in such a way, Lord, that they would be able to start the journey of dealing with some of those offences. Start the journey of, of dealing with some of that stuff that has happened to them. If it's a minor thing that You give them the strength to just go, you know what, I'm just going to dismiss that. I'm not going to hold on to it anymore. I'm going to overlook that matter. I'm going to overlook that thing. If it's a big thing, God, that You would start to help them just walk a journey of forgiveness. And it may take for their whole life, but God, they're gonna to commit to a journey of forgiveness. And then it, and you're gonna see that, you're gonna see that and you're gonna honour that. I pray also, God, that will you give us the ability to pray for and bless those that have done wrong to us, that we would understand that you're calling us not, not to treat them nicely for nothing, but to meet their greatest need and in meeting their greatest need, they might actually find Christ in the middle of that. And so God, help us, help us deal with the offence, help us deal with the unforgiveness, help us to become people that pray for and bless others. Help us to become great as your reward focused instead of focused on the weight of earth stuff, that we would be focused on the weight of heaven stuff. Come on church.